Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope and soon returning King. I'm Tim Moore, the Senior Evangelist for Lamb and Lion Ministries and your host for Christ in Prophecy. Following the inspiring Psalms of David and other Old Testament hymn writers, Proverbs represents a unique book of wisdom. Its opening verse ascribes the book to Solomon, the son of David, King of Israel. We know from 1 Kings that Solomon was blessed by God with a wise and discerning heart, more so than any who came before him. We also discovered in 1 Chronicles that wisdom can be fleeting for individuals and societies that stray from the living God. But in Proverbs, Solomon offers a collection of short, pithy statements that offer prudence to the naive, knowledge and discretion to youth, increased learning to the wise, and counsel to those with understanding. That is an apt description of the entirety of God's Word, from Genesis to Revelation. I've reached out to someone whose learning and insight is respected far and wide. Dr. Al Mohler is not only the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, he is a deep thinker, incomparably well-read, and a cherished friend. It is a dawning proposition to find a person widely respected for their insights on wisdom, but Dr. Al Mohler has been called the reigning intellectual of the evangelical movement here in the United States. He is as well-read and widely educated as anyone I know, and his book knowledge is enhanced by a deep reservoir of wisdom, because his commitment to the Lord undergirds all his amassed knowledge. Dr. Mohler, thank you for taking the time again to sit down with me on Christ in Prophecy. Tim, as always, it's great to be with you. Well, Dr. Moeller, obviously our focus today is on Proverbs, and there's so many individual verses and passages that jump out at us. During our transition of leadership here at Lamb and Lion Ministries, our key verse was 16.9, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Uh, my own family considers Proverbs 27.17, theme verse for our family, iron sharpens iron, but one man sharpens another. And so there are so many verses. When I was in the legislature, one of my favorites was uh, 29.18, where there is no vision, the people perish or are unrestrained. What are some of your personal favorites from the book of Proverbs? Well, you know, I will simply kind of uh, paraphrase a bit here by saying that the contrast between wisdom and uh, and the fool in the Proverbs is, uh, I think, a, a very important theme to me. So all of the, uh, the Proverbs uh, uh, about the foolishness of fools are just very instructive. I read them as a, as a very young teenager, and, and they struck me immediately. And, and I think, of course, the very context of the Proverbs, in which you have a, a father sharing wisdom with his son, with the uh, the Proverbs making very clear that uh, even in the personification of wisdom at times, that uh, that wisdom comes only from God and that it is given to human beings in order that uh, that we might live. You know, it's one of the things people miss in the Proverbs. It's not just a matter of riches and poverty. It's also a matter of life and death. Wisdom is the way of life. 
Foolishness is the way of death. And of course, that has deep theological uh, dimensions to it as well. Well, Dr. Muller, we always have revered you, I do, for your, your well-read learning. But from a very young age, you had a, a heart's desire to gain knowledge, to gain understanding. And so you have a love for reading that is obvious even with your library. I'll speak to it in a minute. What gave you that love for learning and knowledge that has blended over into obvious wisdom? You know, I, I have to say, I believe that, uh, that that thirst for knowledge and wisdom came from God, uh, but it was channeled through my parents and, and my grandparents. My grandmother, my father's mother, uh, was a, an elementary school teacher, and uh, she was uh, really an expert at teaching children to read. And so uh, really long before I, I went to school, I was, uh, I was absolutely seduced by books, and uh, I, I could not wait until I could read them on my own. And then my parents uh, just kept me supplied with books, uh, you know, from the library mostly, and our church library, and uh, they encouraged me to read. Now I had to learn a lot. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I got in trouble sometimes for reading. Uh, my my uh, father, uh, who was a wonderful godly father, he uh, he enforced lights out, uh, <laughs> even when I wanted to keep the light on to read. But he never he never uh, dissuaded me from reading. Uh, there's some concrete things I could add there. But uh, a, a hunger to, to, to know and, and thinking of, uh, of reading as the most important way to know in, in conversation with other minds, uh, that came to me very, very early. Well, I have observed this, and I know you have as well. Sometimes great learning, even from book knowledge or worldly knowledge, can lead to great confusion. We have the example that Festus actually dismissed Paul's testimony by exclaiming, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. And of course, Paul was not mad. He was speaking words of sober truth. But we also know examples like Charles Templeton, who began to read and acquire learning from the world, and he lampooned his fellow evangelist, Billy Graham, by saying that uh, he was holding on to the veracity of God's Word and dismissed his faith as intellectual suicide. And of course, Billy Graham did grapple with that criticism, but ended up testifying that he was going to trust in the Lord because he said, that is the path for me. He never veered in his reverence for God's Word and the Lord's calling on his life. But how can we expand our knowledge and yet avoid falling into the pit of becoming enamored with our own intelligence. The, the father of the Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes uh, w once wrote about complexity and simplicity. And uh, he said the simplicity on the near side of complexity uh, is very fragile, but the simplicity on the other side of complexity is very strong. And uh, I, th that may seem like a, a kind of opaque statement, but it, it means a lot to me. And uh, I think when you look at someone like Charles Templeton, you look at someone who encountered complexity and he was totally unprepared for it. And, and he did not turn to any uh, trustworthy way to get out of it. And instead he just surrendered to complexity. He, he believed in God. And then the moment he started to face some real challenges, some big questions, he just caved. His, uh, his cognitive faith just disappeared. You know, I think, I think Tim, this is a, a warning to us. And by the way, this is, again, going to take us back to the book of Proverbs. Here you have a godly father who is instructing his son in wisdom. And you'll notice he brings up tough subjects. Yes. Uh, this is good Christian parenting, by the way. It's good Christian leadership. It's good Christian ministry. We should not let the world bring up all the tough subjects 
or we're going to end up with a lot more Charles Templeton's. Uh, because uh, it, it should be instead that we bring up the tough subjects with our own sons and with our own daughters and uh, with our own church members and uh, with, uh, you know, just with, without uh, saying too much here, um, we know, and, and this is revealed in scripture, by the way, or even it, it, it's revealed in, uh, in human patterns throughout history. We know that there's a, a massive change that comes in adolescence and in pre-adolescence in what's called the uh, the acquisition of complex cognitive operations. <laughs> what that really means is that a four-year-old thinks, but a 14-year-old thinks about thinking. And, uh, you know, so a proverb to a four-year-old is, well, of course that's true. But to a 14-year-old, a proverb is an opportunity or, or, or a conversation with a parent or a trusted Christian to be an opportunity to say, okay, what do Christians believe about this and why? And so, you know, I, 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 I'm thankful you raised the specter of Charles Templeton, who, who by the way, died just a very sad life, uh, died after a very sad life and uh, with no hope of, uh, of salvation or the resurrection to come. And then you think of his dear friend, Billy Graham, and you see two different ways. Uh, the book of Proverbs is about helping to raise sons in, in particular, but children uh, who, when faced with complexity, just don't collapse. Well, I appreciate you emphasizing the role we have in pouring into our children, our grandchildren. But speaking of intelligence, there was also once an American political party. I know you're a historian uh, for politics, especially that was called the Know Nothings, and they they seem to gravitate toward ignorance. Uh, Sergeant Schultz would have been right at home with that party. But today, our society seems to have devolved instead of evolved. In other words, our culture is very tech savvy but lacks wisdom. How have we gotten to where we are today? Well, a part of it is simply the dethroning of all the natural and, uh, and, and cre created uh, hierarchies and authorities. And so, you know, uh, when I was a boy, I needed to know what was true and what was false and went to my parents. Uh, and especially the older I got, you know, as a boy, I went to my dad. Uh, and then there were other trusted authorities in my life. I could go to my pastor. I, I could go to all kinds of Christian leaders in, in my church. And, uh, and, and, and I knew behind them were, uh, were entire structures of authority. That they would go back to the word of God and uh, thus the authority of God himself. But ever since the, uh, especially the, the fast paced revolutions of the 20th century, there's been a dethroning of authority. And so, uh, and by the way, without authority, there can be no wisdom. Uh, there, there, there can be no uh, even acknowledgement of truth. And so we've arrived at a point where truth is emotivism. P people say, or, or it, it, expressivism, sometimes they're combined into, you know, emotive expressivism, which means people say, when I say that I believe that, that uh, two people of the same gender should be married, it's not that I actually believe there's any objective truth about that being good or bad. It's that I am expressing who I am and expressing my emotional state by making that statement. Now, just to be clear, uh, there is no civilization that can sur survive that kind of nonsense. And there is no way Christians can square that kind of nonsense with our Christian responsibility.
Certainly not. Obviously, we know Pontius Pilate said, what is truth? Dismissive of the Lord who stood before him representing all truth. You know, last time we were together, you offered a tremendously insightful observation. You said that Christians cannot be optimistic or pessimistic, but we know too much about the world to be optimistic, too much about sin, you said, but we also know too much about God's purposes to be pessimistic. The Christian mode is not optimism or pessimism, which can wax and wane with our mood. They're that emotive again. You said it is hope, and it is hope in Christ. Hope has a name. Uh, and I have shared that wisdom so many times with other Christians who of late have been racked sometimes by fear and anxiety. So what word of wisdom and encouragement would you offer us today? Well, you know, what you have uh, in that imperative in, in Proverbs is seek wisdom. And uh, here's good news. There is wisdom. And, uh, and, and as we seek it, God provides it. And uh, as you well know and as you well teach, we start with God's word. And then we start with the very center of God's word, and that is Jesus Christ. Yes. And, and, and thus, thus we begin with the right authority structure and knowledge. We begin with the knowledge that there is truth because God has created the, the cosmos. He created us in his image, and he is truth, and he's revealed truth to us. And he's made the world intelligible so that by observing the world, uh, we, we may know his truth. We also know the power of sin. And the power of sin is devastating. This is, by the way, a distinction between the Protestant and the Catholic understandings historically of the fall. The, uh, the Catholic understanding of the fall is that the human will is totally corrupted, but not human intelligence or reason. Uh, the Protestant reformers came along and said, no, this is what total depravity means. It's not just our will. It is our cognition that has fallen. And that's why we desperately need the scriptures but ultimately, it's, it's why our only rescue is from Christ, Christ, the true wisdom. You know, the beginning of the prologue uh, of the Gospel of John says, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the wisdom of God. And thus, we have true wisdom. And again, just as I said, you know, we don't, we don't hope in hope. We hope in Christ. Uh, we don't believe in belief. We believe in Christ. Amen. Yes, we do. In the course of our Jesus in the Old Testament series, we've already discussed the tragic end to Solomon's reign. This man who, who had great wisdom given to him by God himself, but he strayed grievously from the Lord. How can we, in, uh, to, how can we avoid such enticements as Solomon succumbed to that robbed him from the very wisdom that would have led to life and that is reflected in the Proverbs? I mean, he's the one that wrote in 1434, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people, and yet he strayed himself. Well, that ought to tell us something about the power of sin and the seductiveness of sin. Uh, the, the very uh, uh, king whom uh, the Holy Spirit inspired to write the book of Proverbs uh, that uh, he himself uh, would fall uh, so devastatingly into sin. So it's a reminder to us that we need more than wisdom, I even more than the book of Proverbs. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need a Savior. And, uh, and thankfully, uh, Christians are called to not just the wisdom that is revealed in the Old Testament, not just to the wisdom that is revealed in nature, but to the wisdom that is revealed in Christ. And this is why we need the church. We definitely need the church as the congregation of those who are uh, disciples growing in grace and, uh, and, and clinging to the truth. And, and we are not up to this alone, but we're not called to this alone. We're called to faithful Christianity in the context of a faithful church. And, uh, and then we desperately need the preaching of God's word. This is the first and most fundamental of the means of grace. 
We, uh, we are built up in Christ by the preaching, the expository preaching of God's word. And without that, we should not expect that there will be any health in us. Well, and that leads to my next question. There was a time, I think, when most Americans would have agreed on at least the, the basic uh, foundations of even having a dialogue. They believed that there was a truth, and there were individuals that they would have found trustworthy. I mentioned Billy Graham. At one time, most Americans would have trusted a voice like Billy Graham's. Today, I think the divide has grown so great, and the erosion of the foundation that there even is a knowable truth has grown so great that I fear the Americans especially would not be able to agree on one voice or one source of wisdom. Do you disagree with that assessment? No, I don't disagree, but uh, I will say there's no political rescue to that problem. There's no scientific rescue to that problem. There's only a theological rescue to that problem. And and by the way, you are absolutely right in uh, how postmodern and relativistic, uh, what we would in in my world called social constructivist understandings of truth. That is that truth is just something that people create. The uh, the antidote to that is biblical Christianity. But uh, but we need to, to note something, and that is that centers can never stay consistent in their worldview. A non-Christian worldview, so inherently unstable, it doesn't work by definition. So you even have someone who's a radical atheist like Richard Dawkins, who says there are no postmodernists at 33,000 feet. And uh, I'm saying that to a, a, you know, a jet pilot. Uh, you know, gravity does not care if you believe in it or not. Um, so it's just another reminder of the fact that, that uh, those who try to hold to just a relativistic understanding of truth— they do not want their heart surgeon to have a relativistic understanding of truth. No, they do not. You know, here at Lamb and Lion Ministries, we proclaim the imminent return of Jesus Christ, not to set dates or times, but just to have people looking for our blessed hope and the return of our glorious God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we encourage them to stay engaged in whatever sphere of human endeavor the Lord has called them to and planted them in. When it comes to guarding the hearts of our children and grandchildren, how do we balance the importance of being salt and light out and about in, the, in our darkening yeah. society and yet protecting them and following the admonition of Proverbs 14, 7, that says, leave the presence of a fool, or you will not discern words of wisdom. Yeah, that assumes that, that uh, you have the choice. And uh, that's not always something that, uh, for instance, our children will have. Sometimes they'll be in a classroom with someone, and they really don't have the choice of just getting up and walking out. So they've, they've got to learn how to think. We need to build in theological, biblical, intellectual defenses into their lives. And by the way, we need to keep that conversation going on. Uh, the, the most important classroom needs to be the dinner table and the breakfast table. And uh, so the, the, we, we have to understand what we're up against and push back. Look, as a society, uh, just look around us. This society is openly embracing insanity, irrationality, untruth. I mean, we have a society that keeps trying to look at itself with a straight face and say, no, we believe a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy. Uh, and, and, and by the way, the, then again, the inconsistency comes up when all of a sudden they, they understand, well, this isn't exactly working too well, uh, but we can't admit that. And so, look, we, we've just got to be in this constant mode of, of not being tossed to and fro, but instead saying, look, we expect a sinful world to act like a sinful world. We expect a sinful world to think like a sinful world. Uh, our task is not to think that way and not to live that way. But uh, we do need to be very watchful of what's taking place. And, and as parents, again, and as Christian leaders, we have to understand we are surrounded by children, teenagers, young people uh, for whom these challenges are just immense. 
They certainly are. Dr. Moeller, I personally look forward every day to listening to The Briefing, your daily podcast that offers a, an analysis of the news from a Christian worldview. And it is insightful for a wide range of topics that uh, don't often make the, uh, the local news or even the national news here in America. And you speak of a false fixation on intersectionality, the ideology of secularists that talks about deliberating deliberately flaunting the wisdom of God to embrace, again, the, these abnormalities, if you will, that it galls the sense of anyone who adheres to a Christian worldview. What do you see coming down the pipe that is even more abhorrent and, and just crazy, but is inevitable given the trends in our culture? Yeah, I've kind of given the reference to it already when I spoke of uh, the confusion of male and female. You know, uh, throughout virtually all my uh, young years, as a young person, as a young adult, and uh, even throughout most of the years, the three decades I've served as president of this institution and, and been a Christian apologist and theologian, the most pressing questions have been intellectual. Uh, the most pressing questions have been uh, what we would call in the academic world epistemology. How do I know? How do I know that the Bible's the Word of God? How do I know that God really inspired the Bible? How do I know that Jesus Christ was really the Son of God? How do I know that, that Jesus really did, uh, was really raised from the dead? And, and so those were the how do I know questions? How do I know questions? That was the obsessive concern of Christian apologetics. But we're now living in a world in which people are denying reality itself. And not just how do I know this, but we have a war on matter. We have a war on creation. And, you know, so again, as something as simple as male and female is, is, now, is, is now a subject of widespread, increasing, unprecedented confusion. And let me just point out, there never has been a society in all of human history that has been confused about these things. But we are now. This is, this is a rejection not just of the Bible. This is a rejection of creation, of, of the created order. It certainly is. Dr. Muller, this series we've uh, been focusing on is Jesus in the Old Testament, looking for Him throughout the pages of Scripture, not just the New Testament. And so as we look at Proverbs, the Hebrew word for proverb, as I know you are aware, can mean taunt, discourse, or parable. And it's crystal clear, we can cite chapter 2, verse 6, that the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. But where in Proverbs do you see evidence of Jesus, our Messiah, providing that wisdom, and the book itself pointing to him as the coming Christ. Yeah, the most important thing I know to say is that he is the wisdom. That, that uh, he, 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 is, he is not just the preacher of wisdom. He's not just the teacher of wisdom. He is the wisdom. And so I would point throughout the entirety of the book of Proverbs. Um, that, that means that when we are told to seek wisdom, it really means we are to seek Christ. And uh, so I appreciate you looking Christologically at the Old Testament and, and at the Proverbs, because here's the thing, if the Proverbs is just, even if it's just a Holy Spirit-inspired Spirit book of wisdom from a father to a son in ancient Israel, well, that's great. But if it is an Old Testament window into understanding the wisdom of Christ, well, that makes it wisdom for the church, which it is. It certainly is. Dr. Moeller, I have to tell you, I am grateful for your ongoing ministry, not just the briefing, not just your service there at Southern Seminary and involved, obviously, with Boyce College, where my daughter is, but all the things you do to pour into the church and into our culture God's wisdom and truth. And so may He continue to use you as a conduit of blessing, which He most certainly has done. Well, Tim, I am always thankful for a conversation with you. I love thinking biblically along with you in Lamb and Lion Ministries, and I pray God's richest blessings to you. Thank you, sir, and Godspeed.
Throughout human history, learned men and women have aspired to wisdom. Long understood as a level of discernment beyond mere knowledge, the quest for wisdom motivated great thinkers like Socrates and Aristotle and Confucius. Within the Bible, wisdom is understood to begin with a reverence for the Lord God, and yet be a gift bestowed by Him alone. But as I cited regarding Festus' words to Paul, some have always been suspicious of too much learning and discernment beyond their own understanding. Through the long period of the Dark Ages, misguided priests and magistrates prohibited common people from reading, let alone owning, the Bible for themselves. With an imposed famine of the Word of the Lord, immorality and doctrinal drift went largely unchecked. The Reformation ushered in by Martin Luther began to cast off the shackles of ignorance. As followers of Jesus Christ once again studied the text of Scripture and feasted on the Word of the Lord, a new era of revival and evangelism swept the world. But in recent years, we have witnessed yet another famine. Although the Word of the Lord is readily available, most people throughout the West refuse to take and eat. Like spiritual anorexics, they run to and fro, but are spiritually starving, not because they cannot access God's Word, but because they have no interest in doing so. Simultaneously, and caused by the same spiritual myopia, our culture now scoffs at the very concept of wisdom. Whose wisdom, they ask? Casting themselves away from conventions and human understandings handed down since the creation, they are adrift in a sea of irrationality and moral oblivion. When the leading scholars and legal minds of a society cannot even define the meaning of the word woman, you know that sanity has left the scene. We've frequently spoken of the warnings Paul issued in Romans 1. As our culture exchanges the truth of God for a lie, we are pitching over into depravity at an accelerating pace. The Lord told Daniel that in the end times, many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. We recognize that the positive aspect of that word is that the Holy Spirit will enable understanding of prophecies that are sealed up until the end times. But there is another connotation as well. Although knowledge will increase, wisdom and discernment will elude the unbelieving world. Rightfully did Solomon ask, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Unless a miracle of God reforms our society one more time, I believe it is destined to decline until the day of the Lord arrives in full force. Proverbs is full of pithy statements that jar our sensibilities and help us stay on the straight and narrow path. I hope that you will make this little book of wisdom a part of your regular Bible study. If you do, it will draw you closer and closer to the one who is wisdom personified. Well, Tim, I'm always impressed by Dr. Mola's breadth of knowledge and insight. I am too, Nathan. If you could see his extensive library and discover, as I have, that he can cite from any book in it, you'd realize that he has earned his learning through years of disciplined and focused study. There are some who want to skip the effort and get to the reward, sort of, sort of like getting six-pack abs without doing the sit-ups or massive biceps without lifting weights. Well, within prophetic circles, there's some who advocate for mystical interpretations instead of simply reading and studying the Word of God for its plain sense meaning. Exactly, Nathan. You know, mysticism appeals to some because it seems to offer a shortcut to studying the whole counsel of Scripture. If you want to gain wisdom regarding God's revelation for the end times, read and heed His Word. As you do that, a great resource for understanding the signs of the times is Dr. David Reagan's book, God's Plan for the Ages. For a gift of $20 or more, we'll be glad to send you a copy. 
It is my favorite book by Dave and has been a great blessing to me over the years. I couldn't agree more, Tim. Uh, Dave's book is the culmination of his many years of study and highlights the plain sense meaning of God's prophetic word spread throughout the Bible and collectively pointing to Jesus' soon return. God's plan for age would be a wise addition to your personal library. Our key verses for this week are Proverbs 1-7 and 14-34. The first speaks to the source of all wisdom, and the second offers a word of wisdom to any nation, including ours. Visit our website to download our key verse commentaries for each episode in our Jesus in the Old Testament series. Until next week, this is Tim Moore and Nathan Jones saying, Look up, be watchful, for the only wise God and our Savior, worthy of glory and majesty, is drawing near.